0: Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in a nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we bow before thee and we thank thee so much for thy hand of mercy upon us. And we pray that as we now listen to Puritan wisdom, on rearing children that thy benediction would be on this this talk, and that thou wouldst be in the midst of us, that the wonders of thy grace would superabound among us. we thank thee for Puritan insights we thank thee for the great measure of gifts thou was given to these uh, Puritans to be so far advanced over us in biblical principles of how to rear their children. And so may we sit at their feet and follow them insofar as they follow Christ. Be with us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this particular video is is also uh, by me. And uh, I remind you that what we did was we took, uh, James LaBelle and myself, we took the 29 Puritan books that had been written on marriage and family, and we, we summarized them in the book Living in a Godly Marriage. And this talk, as well, is a summary of what the Puritans have to teach us about, um, about child-rearing. So I hope you enjoy it, and... Uh, after the video I'll add a few more comments again like, like normal. Thank you. Class is going. Those of you who want to join. This lecture is on the Puritan family, specifically how the Puritans raised their children. I began the lecture on Puritan marriage with a quote of Richard Baxter. I'll do that here with the family as well. Richard Baxter says this, A holy family is a place of comfort, a church of God. Oh that God would stir up the hearts of people thus to make their families as little churches that it might not be in the power of rulers or pastors that are bad to extinguish religion or banish godliness from any land. You see, in the Puritan mind, the Bible presents the family as a fundamental unit of human society. And the Bible tells us to glorify God By raising children for him, for the well-being of society, of the church, and of the family itself. As Baxter says, it is no small mercy to be the parents of a godly seed, and this is the end of the institution of marriage, at least one of the major ends. Isaac Ambrose said, parents have the task of erecting and establishing Christ's glorious kingdom in their house so this idea that your family is a is a little house church as it were a little mini type of the bigger church and that your children by the grace of God will be folded into the larger invisible church of God the, those who are truly converted so that on the great day your family may be an undivided family on the right hand of the side of Christ as his sheep that Is the goal of child rearing in Puritan thinking. Now there are several thoughts here that the Puritans exercised with regard to children. I'm just going to give you five or six major thoughts here. First is this, children are always gifts from God. The idea today of someone saying, well I I think I'll have three children. What would you like, my dear? Uh, I'd like five. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll settle for four. Uh, that would be anathema to the Puritans. The Puritans believed it was a divine wonder of grace when God opened the womb. And you were to have as many children as you could without violating particularly the wife's um, physical strength or emotional strength. So this would be a typical Puritan conversation maybe 9 to 12 months after you had a baby. Obviously, the Puritan man would realize he shouldn't try to get his wife pregnant right away. That that would be too much for her emotional and physical stamina. So maybe 9 or 12 months later, he might say to his wife, my dear, I notice you've been gaining strength and uh, you seem to be doing well. Do you you think you're, you're ready to have another child should the Lord so provide one? And the wife would say, yes, I'm feeling quite well and uh, strong mentally and physically, I'm fully restored. And So they would, again, try to have a baby. So the average Puritan family had eight or nine children. That That was typical. Many of them had 12 or 13. Those that had only a few children, there was usually some reason why they couldn't have more children. Children were regarded not as something in the way not as something that was just expensive, but as the very gifts of God. And women, in particular, were used to dedicating their lives to child-rearing as homemakers. And so this was a happy situation for the Puritan family. Large families run in the fear of God were considered to be very happy families. Now, at the same time, I hasten to add that about 50% of children born to Puritans died before they reached adulthood. Many died at birth. Uh, many died in the first couple of years of life. And then there were diseases and other difficulties. So Puritans knew what it was to cope with great trial. Seldom would you have a family of any decent size that hadn't lost at least one or two children. Secondly, authority in the family. Whereas the husband was the head of the home, the head authority in the marital relationship, in the family relationship, husband and wife were regarded as a team. In some ways, I suppose, they still regarded the husband as the head of the home, of course. But the husband trained the children to respect his wife as much as they respected him. And they tried to do teamwork with all their decisions. So what the husband would say, the wife would say, vice versa. And hence, authority was a mutual thing. So in the Puritan mind, authority always comes from God. It's mediated through Jesus. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And then Jesus exercises it by his word, which is ultimately written by the Holy Spirit. And that word reveals authority structures in every area of life. So a government politician is the head over citizens. Teachers are the head over students. Employers over employees. Church office bearers over church members. Husband over wife. Parents over children. And to the Puritan mind, that was a very happy thing. The word authority was a very positive word, not a negative word. Because authority just meant that God was ordering all of life according to his structure. So every Puritan had certain areas, every adult Puritan, had certain areas where they exercised authority and other areas where they were subjective to authority. So life was all about recognizing where you were at in every area of life and responding biblically in accord with your position. So children were to be obedient to their parents because their parents were in authority over them. Now, another principle in child rearing for the Puritans is that child rearing begins at conception. I'm going to give you several principles here, but we begin at the beginning. Child rearing begins at conception. And so Richard Adams writes this, While the child is yet but an embryo, there is not only required prayer for that child with thanksgiving for the sanctifying of the fruit of the body as Jeremiah and John were. He's saying that Jeremiah and John were converted before they were born, and so you should pray for that for your unborn child. But also required is a tender care for the preservation of life. So the husband and the wife must both be very protective of the health of the mother so that she can carry the child full term. The husband was never, you see, once he knew his wife was pregnant, to, uh, to allow her to go on horseback uh, on a rough trail. And if she would to miscarry because of it, he'd be held in contempt. So he used to treat his wife with tenderness. Then, secondly, mothers have the major role in caring for newborns. Puritan said, God has naturally given them this miraculous food source uh, from their own breast to their child. And therefore, mothers naturally bond well with little children. The husband's main role in the first six weeks of life or so of the child is to nurture his wife, help her along, But once the child gets a bit older, then the man gets very involved as well, as father. Three, baptizing infants is part of parents' covenant obligations to God. This was the common Puritan view. There were a few Baptist Puritans, very few, John Bunyan being one of the few exceptions, but they believed, like the Reformers, that the covenant continues in the New Testament, that baptism, infant baptism, took the place of circumcision. At the same time, they did not believe that that means that you can say to the child, well, Jesus loves you all is well with your soul, because you're a covenant child. No, they believed in a two-circle covenant relationship. The outer circle being what they called the external covenant, within which children were born. They're born with all the privileges of the covenant. The inner circle, outer circle is a dotted line, the inner circle is a solid line from which you can't break out. Children get transferred from the outer circle into the inner circle when the Holy Spirit regenerates them and they're born again. Then they come to hate sin and repent and believe the gospel and love the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. And so, children are born in the covenant but not necessarily truly of the covenant not the internal essence of the covenant they live under the promises of the covenant but they must be made personal partakers of those promises by faith evidence by repentance and a godly walk number four children must be trained early in the nurture and admonition of the Lord It's hard for us to imagine this, but the Puritans trained their children assiduously, educationally, to read, to write, and so on. But mainly so that they could read the Bible, so that they could understand the truths of God. For example, the New England Primer, the first educational book published in America, which taught children the ABCs, taught A this way, In Adam's fall we sinned all. Z, this way. Zacchaeus, he did climb the tree, his Lord to see. And this early training in the nurture and admonition of the Lord was then reinforced through what they called catechetical instruction. A pastor would come over to your house, for example, and he'd show you how to do that, how to catechize your children. He probably wrote a catechism book himself and gave one to you and modeled it so you could catechize your children from week to week. And then fifth, family worship was the most powerful means for child rearing. In the Puritan mind, there are four parts to family worship. First, reading the Bible. Then second, the Father catechizing the children, teaching the children by question and answer at their own level from the scriptures, every day speaking to them about the truths of God. Then third, prayer And fourth, they always closed family worship with singing because they said that lasts longest on the memory. And to them, that was the most important thing, the most important thing a father could do. Fail here, you fail in all. Succeed here, you succeed in the main thing. Family worship was the primary foundation of a godly family home exercised every day, conscientiously, intentionally. It wasn't necessarily a long time, 10 minutes, 15, 20 perhaps, maybe a little longer if the children were older. But every day, the father would be talking to his children about the truths of God. So that by the time they're an adult, they had gone through the Bible several times, and the children had talked with their dad and their mom helping him about every subject under the sun. Because the Bible talks about every subject under the sun. And thus would we'll be well prepared for adult life by the grace of God. And then number six, discipline as an essential part of child rearing. The Puritans believed that there were times when children who did not respond to instruction and reproof, young children would need to be spanked, but only in measure and only to the degree of the moral infraction that they were committing and parents must be open with their children about that and parents must steer a middle way wrote one Puritan between harshness and leniency. they must not be like Eli on the one side but nor must they be overly strict on the other side and make the children overly fearful of them and finally number seven Children should welcome their parents' help in making major life decisions. That was very common in the Puritan mind. For example, talking about a career or or finding uh, a a mate for life, parents would always be very involved. They would give advice to the children. So for finding a a suitable mate, for example, there were five major questions that parents considered and would speak about with their children. Number one, would the proposed spouse walk with their own son or daughter with wisdom and genuine godliness in marriage? Well, that had to be if you're going to marry in the Lord, they said. Number two, would the proposed spouse fit the biblical description of what a marriage partner is to be? Does the proposed husband have good leadership skills, a loving demeanor? Does the proposed wife show submission and reverence to her own father? Number three, Was the proposed spouse mature and properly motivated for entering into marriage? Number four, was the proposed spouse fairly equal to their own son or daughter in terms of class and financial resources? Puritans believe that, in general, low-class people shouldn't marry high-class people. Too much social change would bring friction in the marriage. And number five, was the proposed spouse somewhat attractive? in the eyes of their son or daughter. You see, beauty in the Puritan mind was something that was mostly cultivated within a loving relationship. But there had to be a little spark of attraction, at least. You now, if a parent came to a child and said, I think that so-and-so would make a good wife for you. The son would say, Father, thank you so much. I'll, I'll, I'll go into prayer about that. Maybe two weeks later, he'd come to his father and say, Father, I've seriously considered... the the young woman you proposed, but I just am not attracted whatsoever to her, and I just don't think she'd make a good spouse for me for reason A or B. But I respect you, Father, and please come to me with another possibility in the future. Or else he would agree with his father, and the relationship would begin. But there was always respect, and the children appreciated the involvement of their parents. In conclusion... Puritan parents were fully involved, fully engaged with their children throughout their entire growing up and were training them, nurturing them, molding them in the fear of God. With the realization that on the day of judgment, they would have to give an account of their parental stewardship. And often Puritan pastors warn parents what that would be like if they neglected, for example, family worship. Richard Mayo has a part of his sermon where children are standing on the wrong side of Jesus in the judgment day in his imagination. And these children are calling out to their parents on the right side and saying, parents, all this that we are going to suffer now in hell is through you. You should have taught us the things of God. You did not. You should have restrained us from sin and corrected us, and you did not. You were the means of our original corruption and guilt yet you have never showed any care that we might be delivered from it. Woe unto us that we had such carnal and careless parents, and woe unto you that you had no more compassion and pity to prevent the everlasting misery of your own children. Well, you can imagine. A sermon like that would make parents sit up and examine themselves. So with warning and with love and encouragement, In pleading God's covenant promises, Puritan pastors would stir parents up to bring up their children in the fear, the nurture, and the admonition of the Lord with a prayer that one day they might be an undivided family reserved for the heavenly mansions above in the Lord Jesus Christ. Add uh, just a few thoughts there. <clears throat> One of the um, things I just briefly touched on there was uh, catechization. The uh, <coughs> Puritan father uh, really focused on catechization. And there's a man by the name of, um, his last name is Green. And he he did a doctoral dissertation on how the Puritan Fathers uh, catechized. And uh, it's it's quite awesome how intentionally and often uh, an hour a week they would catechize, sometimes apart from family worship, uh, their children and would ask intentionally individual questions to each child that another child was not allowed to answer. So they were actually training each child at that that child's uh, own level. And um, the goals of catechizing were to make sermons and sacraments more understandable for covenant children, to prepare them for confession of faith, and to teach them how to defend their faith against error. So, Children were really taught how truth ought to be loved and truth ought to be lived. And that was to be all modeled by the example of the parents themselves. Richard Greenham, which was one of the early uh, Puritans, put it this way. Experience teaches us that children learn more by countenance That's by by your expression on your face, by gesture and by behavior than by rule, doctrine, precept, or instruction. So a bad example could cause incredible harm to your children. As Greenham says, if parents would have their children blessed at church and at school, let them beware lest they give their children no corrupt examples. Let them beware that they give their children no corrupt examples at home by any carelessness, profaneness, or ungodliness. Otherwise, parents will do them more harm at home than both the pastors and schoolmasters can do them good abroad. Now, that's common sense in a way, but... It's just the way they, they write it so uh, so beautifully. It's amazing. Um, the last thing I want, to, I want to mention is that the Puritans viewed child-rearing as something that they did for the glory of God, for the good of the world, for the good of the nation, the commonwealth, they called it. And so, when we tend to raise children, we tend to look at them as just like our children and my family, right? Or our family. And the Puritans thought more along the lines of we're raising a family for the welfare of the church and the nation and the world to populate the world with God-fearing Christians uh, from among the the godly seed. And so (coughs) uh, Puritan John Geary, who wrote um, a a famous two-page account of the character of an old English Puritan, he's describing, which it's a fascinating document, he's describing as a Puritan what the Puritan saw as the ideal Puritan. And uh, when it comes to the family section, he says, his family, the ideal Puritan, endeavored to make a church, both in regard of persons and exercises, admitting none into it, but such as feared God, and laboring that those who were born in it might be born again to God. Now, That's kind of quaint language. But what he's saying here is that anyone that would come into the family, be it a servant, be it uh, like a housemaid or something, they'd try to bring someone into the family who also feared God because they didn't want anyone in the family who didn't fear God to influence their children in an ungodly direction. So the goal was to make the family a little mini church and then have that family, through the regenerating sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, when the children are born again, be folded into the larger church family, the family that would last forever and ever in heaven. So there was a real centeredness upon the, the individual family, but it was different from the self-centered christian family today that kind of blocks out the church in many circles happily not in our circles i don't think so much but in many circles around the globe today um where the the local nucleus of the family becomes the be-all and the end-all and the church is marginalized and you see for the for the puritans church was never marginalized in fact the goal of the immediate individual family was that the family would belong to the invisible everlasting church uh, in heaven forever. So really the main family is the family of God, uh, not, your, not your own individual family. Um, so in conclusion, the Puritans really educated their children not to prepare them for every little nook and cranny in life, but they educated them principally on, on biblical principles so that they could be prepared for whatever God would lead them to in His providence in, in life. And uh, unlike our day, when children have untold opportunities to go in a thousand different directions in terms of a career. Um, Puritan Day, when culture was more structured in terms of high class, middle class, low class, uh, it was not considered to be a positive quality to want to just move up into the high class and you weren't socially built that way and so on. There's more class distinction. And and the tendency was that you would follow your father in his occupation. Unless God called you to the ministry. That was the first thing a young man should look at is God calling me into the ministry. If he was sure that was not the case, then he'd look at what is his father doing? And is there room there to succeed his father in the business or in the farm or or whatever? Um, So, In one way, life was more predictable, and young people growing up kind of had a clear direction where they were going to go. In another way, though, life was more fragile, more tenuous, because there was so much death, so much affliction, um, so much sorrow. I mean, there were Puritans who had 13, 14 children, and uh, sometimes the father and mother outlived them all. Uh, That's extreme cases, but... As I said on the video, 50% of the children died before they reached adulthood. Now, taking the last two lectures together, what we can say is this. The Puritans uh, actually crafted what we now take for granted, at least most of us, the idea of the happy Christian home. Our father and mother love each other like crazy. Um, Just enjoy each other and have a solid marriage. And the children grow up with clear rules, guidelines, biblical guidelines, uh, fearing God. The whole idea of the happy Christian home actually is bequeathed to us from the Puritans. Very, very, very few people realize that. In fact, most people think that Puritans were kind of prudish, um, didn't know how to make love very well with their spouses, weren't, weren't really happy uh, as people, were legalistic, all of that stuff is the 19th century caricatures of 16th, 17th century uh, Puritanism. Actually, the Puritans were the happiest people, as far as I've studied church history in my life. Uh, I believe they were the happiest people on the face of the earth because they were the most biblical. And they had such a loving emphasis on Puritan marriage and in such a clear direction on on raising children. So here is uh, J.I. Packer, who spent his whole life studying the Puritans as well. He said, The Puritans are the creators of the happy English-Christian marriage, the English-Christian family, and the English-Christian home. And in the words of Philip Arthur, another scholar, present-day scholar of the Puritans, he said, By recovering their expectation that faithfulness to God in the commonplace things of life will be rewarded, and that it is a high and noble aim to attempt the difficult balancing act of seeing that every relationship is honored in life that we meet our obligations to God, to the local church, the local community and the nation, that we honor and serve spouse, parents, children, employers, employees, in other words, that we do the ordinary things that well, that we do the ordinary things well in dependence on God, knowing that he honors those who honor him. Here is solid, honorable, practical Calvinism, worthy of emulation, and sorely needed in our day of self-gratification and disrespect for authority, a day in which every man does that which is right in his own eyes. So the Puritans have a lot to teach us. And uh, a lot of what we have, we actually have... Learn from them over the centuries, but maybe never realized that we did. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank thee so much for the happy Christian family that the Bible presents to us in Psalm 128, blessed is the man that fears the Lord. Happy shall it be, and it shall be well with him and with his family his wife like a fruitful vine with all of plants round about his table, happy at work, happy in worship, happy with family, happy in the fear of the living God. Please grant that, Lord, to all of us to know that happy family joy of living a biblical life and uh, be with those families who don't have that and who grieve and uh, carry heavy burdens. Lord, please help them and be near to them and be a, be a compassionate God and lead them in thy ways and uh, bring uh, true joy into those families in the fear of God. Strengthen our young men and our young women Look forward to marriage one day. Bring them godly spouses (coughs) and grant, Lord, that they would uh, walk in the fear of the Lord all the day long and give them grace to nurture children in the fear of that same God and the nurture and admonition of the Most High. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.